Welcome to the X Podcast. Welcome back. It is TGI Friday to people. Does anybody still say that? Has it been 10 years know. since anybody said yeah. that God is Friday? But we are so glad that you are tuning in with us for this week's episode. And we have back with us again uh, my cousin, Matthew. Matthew Moore. So we are, it is a full Moore table again. And man, what uh, just... A provocative, interesting, um, well of a conversation. Challenging. Challenging. Still don't know what I'm going to do with it yeah. all. I don't know what half to think about it all. Half of viewers have already switched Yeah, half of people are mad because you just ruined their favorite pastime. Matt's going to need to leave state before um, he's ambushed. But, no, we just really just got into uh, just some of the research behind screens and digital technology. And the good and the bad. We mainly talked about the bad (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and social media. And if you missed last week, uh, make sure you go back and you catch up. But uh, Matt is he flew in actually, uh, I believe, cut vacation short by a day or two to fly in, be with us. He is an assistant principal near Greenville, South Carolina, my hometown, his hometown. Uh, But right now is getting his Ph.D. in all of these things, social media, digital technology, its effect on our minds, our brains, sociology, all of those things. And so we started a conversation last week or last episode on all things digital media. I'd like to pick up where we left off and talk about something maybe even a little bit, uh, a little spicier, but that I think is really, really important, uh, especially in the times that we live in. You know, one of the things we've talked about a lot is coming off this past year and a half and the whirlwind i mean we've explained it and we've tried to go into it a million different ways of how do you even process a year like the last year and a half yeah uh you think of the pandemic uh you think of the economy you think of the lives lost but you also think of um the social unrest and in the middle of all of these things that have happened one of the things that we've bemoaned and we've talked about how do we even navigate on a personal level as a church level is the absolute divide and polarization of our country there's a chasm in our world so what i thought it'd be fun to to dive into pick back up where we left off is look at how does all of this we're talking about digital media how does it play into polarization how does it play into uh our opinions the conclusions that we come to how does it perhaps weaken critical thinking um all of that. I just, I don't even know where to start. If you want to riff on what what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, so first off in last episode, we talked a lot about uh, social media and the, the pride and the, the false confidence that comes with, well, technology doesn't use me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I use technology. That's very much not the case. When you also broach the topic of, you know, we are the products in social media. Um, and so our, our, our feeds are going to be manicured for engagement. Um, you mentioned off air that these companies have no ethical responsibility right. towards balance or social cohesion. They're worried about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what they want is engagement. And so yeah. one of the things that creates engagement with the product mm-hmm. is... Division. Conflict. Conflict. Okay. Somebody. 
Right. Bad news sells. It is exactly the case. Yeah. Um, and so we, because of our our vulnerable nature, and I guess I can get into that here in a second, um, this is, has had widespread and major ramifications for all of our institutions that we hold dear. Um, and uh, it is my belief that we're really at a breaking point in terms of polarization because, as we'll get into later on, polarization begets polarization. Um, and so there is a point, in my opinion, this is an opinion, that you you sort of cross the event horizon, so to speak, mm-hmm. at some point. At yeah. some point, you you cross a yeah. certain threshold. You're talking about for us as a society. For us as a society, yeah. as a country, that yeah. you can't really back, back yourself from. out of. Mm-hmm. You're a you self-defined just, cynic in this. I, I am. and you, I, you, I, you think polarization's gotten way worse. Yep. And that it's not going to get better. I don't think it will. And I'm sorry at home. I'm sorry. That's very not exactly it, uplifting. Would it, would it be hyperbole to state this? Because I, I have been saying this for probably a year or two. And I've been saying it for about four years. And well, you might not want to say what, oh, what I'm about to say. <laughs> I, I, as I look at our country and kind of the direction we're going, all right, we, we are not the United States of America, right? We're very much divided. We have but two countries. We, yeah. And, and as I see it converging, I can't see, and this is, again, I don't want to be ultra-pessimistic and all of that. I'm not trying to to be a doomsdayer. But all I see is a crash course on a modern civil war. Yeah. And and a civil war that is not like the last one in our country, which was geographic. Right. (laughs) This does not follow geography. I mean, it kind of does, and it could be because of states, but even that is confusing. Within a state, there is such conflict yeah um you know even like within our state politically right we're, we're diving into a little bit of the politics in this you know with our state you know it it may end up being a quote-unquote red state by the time all said and done but when you look at or it could be blue but you look at it's only because of three major metropolitan areas yeah and then outside so and it's like that yeah. in most places so i just I, I again i'm not trying to i don't want to be like oh my gosh we're gonna have another massive civil war but i i feel like that's what you're saying how do how can we back away from that let's be really let's just get down to where we live i don't know anyone who doesn't have strained relationships after this year yeah Yeah. after the politics Uh, the the the, the political the the issues that were politicized and or just the election yeah uh relationships unfortunately have been strained why is that i think so i think that a good place to start off is sort of what you've introduced there is what is at stake because i think most people at this point are willing to acknowledge that polarization is a problem but you still have people that are dismissive well it's bad but it's always been bad two party system blah 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 you're catastrophizing you know this is this is just the nature of politics politics is a zero-sum game so on and so forth uh and i just sort of I wanted to have as a jumping off point sort of discuss what's at stake. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so just to sort of throw the the hat in the ring, this what we're experiencing right now is how states fail. Hmm. Uh, States as in countries. States as in countries, systems of governments fail. Um, Look at what we've experienced. Explosive, violent interactions, Mm -hmm. um, failed interpersonal relationships, strained familial relationships. I mean, I've got a friend uh, who is a master's student at Clemson, um, and he is literally estranged, not on speaking terms, with his father, 
mm-hmm. who is a very diehard Trump fan, mm-hmm. and then his brother, who is a never Trumper. They mm-hmm. cannot stand the man. Which one did you vote for again? Yeah, uh, that. Which, right, and why? Yeah, I'd like and to why? We'll uh, get to that at the end okay. of the episode. So make sure you tune in. Exactly. We're reveal it. Right. Um, <laughs> but he's caught in the middle. His brother won't oh. talk to him because he still wanted to talk yeah. to his dad mm. right now how sad is that, that it and, is and so like you're talking about the dissolution of families mm. and relationships and then oh yeah by the way governments cannot actually get any our government can't get any work done the only you way can't. think about the only it's almost way like a legislative version of the playground we're going to do this to you to make sure that you don't get your way. Right. And, and then four years later, mm-hmm. we're going to do it back to that's you pre- and reverse everything that was done. That's precisely the way government happening. is operating yeah. right now. Think about everything from Supreme Court nominations yep. to budgets to, you know, every think pick your policy topic du jour yeah. the only way that anything has gotten done in the past two election cycles is by the total um you know unilateral use yep. of political power executive order executive order or uh you know uh what's the rule in in uh, the house um reconciliation, reconciliation right now uh, they can adjust the budget three times this year correct which has opened up the door for them to do whatever they so you know. actual compromise and yeah, coming together that the- that is totally out the window and so there's a there is a really big problem with that because you create this cycle where well you realize the only way to govern is to is to wield more and more power unilaterally mm. and that gets worse and worse and so that's my first thing is that i mean what is at stake in terms of polarization is literally our our country and our republic mm. but also our relationships, our relationships yeah. how we interact yeah. and how we view other people. I agree. Um, and so, I, you know, the, the, I'll say this and then I'll throw it back to you guys. There's a, an excellent um, analogy that I'd like to use. Um, and I think I mentioned the, this to you before. There is an argument for the existence of God called the fine-tuning or the cosmological argument. Yep. And so the fine-tuning argument essentially goes, you've got all these physical constants in the universe, mm-hmm. the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear 15, force. And Yeah, I mean, there's, there's many of them. And if any of them are dialed mm-hmm. in any way or changed in any way, then life doesn't exist. And so this, of course, is suggestive of, of some kind of divine artificer, mm-hmm. all right? Um, the same argument can be made for representative democracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have this. Mis- I've never heard the fine-tuning argument applied to democracy. <laughs> we, I'm ready for this. this we have true. this mistaken notion mm-hmm. because the Soviet Union fell in what 1991. Mm-hmm. We've been the lone superpower on the globe for decades, and so we. What just, do you mean the lone superpower? The lone super. Elite, leading, leading superpower. Leading superpower. China, Russia. China is considered an emerging superpower. They're not considered considered a superpower by most political scientists. Mm. Now that'll change. Maybe, maybe it already has changed. But we have grown up. You and I have grown up in a world uh, which the U.S. is leading. Well, the United States is is the preeminent dominant force in the economy and global politics. You name it, and so we have this mistaken notion that representative democracy is just so star-spangled awesome by sheer collective and social inertia. It is inevitable. 
Everybody should. Everybody be best. not only should, they They're, will. Hmm. It's going to happen. Um, and we, what well, we mistaken, we, we don't recognize that actually it takes a lot of fine tuning mm -hmm. to maintain right. a, a democracy. All right, because as we'll get into shortly, we're not wired for this. The, the programming our brains run is very tribal. Uh, it's not, we don't naturally say, okay, you know, the, the loyal opposition, you say, I've said things that really I disagree with strenuously, but I, you know what, I, I respect your right to say it, and I appreciate the loyal opposition that you give me because iron sharpens iron. That's not natural. Mm -hmm. We have to make ourselves do that internal work. Valuing dissenting thought is you're saying is not a, a normal cognitive desire. Not in any way, shape, or form. And so we, we have to fine-tune our society to be receptive to democratic ideals. And we're victims of our own success. There has not been another game in town, so to speak, for decades. And so we've gotten collectively lazy. And in that laziness, polarization has, has spread like wildfire. Okay, before we go into the digital, though, I, I, th I just think this is fascinating. I want to go on a, a quick rabbit trail, though, to get to where we are. Because even before the digital amplification of where we're at right now with polarization and the, div the divisiveness, the two parties weren't always uh, so homogenous. So can, can, take, can, can you do a quick history lesson? Because sure. we talked about this, I think, uh, right before the election last year. Uh, was, was it back in the 50s and 60s? Yeah. Uh, well, what happened? Because nowadays it would be, you know, we were talking with Kevin the other day because me and Kevin both uh, read a book that um, is an amazing book. Some people may not even, this may even cause issues that we read the book. But uh, President Obama's Volume 1, I'm uh, The Promised Land. No. Yeah, incredible book. I don't think Kevin actually got through it. Didn't get he through said it, he but read a few it's like a 700-page book, it's but big. every page is like chocolate. Can I just say that? It, it, it is so fascinating. It is so interesting. And if you're a liberal listening right now saying, I knew it, no, uh, don't make assumptions. And if you're a conservative right now listening saying, I would never read that because I don't like President Obama, can I just kindly say that may be the next book you should read to humanize mm -hmm. yourself to somebody that Perhaps but not only that, you, you know, backstage access to a president yeah. Yeah. and yeah, in a, a I don't, I don't care which president it matter. is. Yes. If so Donald Trump, you know, writes a book, writes right. a book yes. I'm buying it tomorrow. Yes, yeah. it is I a mean, fascinating book. But, but Kevin mentioned, you know, um, one of the incidents where uh, President Obama gave someone a bro hug. Yeah. What, what, what was the right? It was uh, Chris uh, in Florida. But anyways, his uh, um, his camp crucified him over it yeah. and things have only gotten worse and, and i guess the point i'm making is we're we're at a, a stage right now career was over his political Christ. Cr it was yeah. Christ, right yeah. his political career basically went in the dumps yes. because because charlie chris bro hug from somebody on well president right mm -hmm. on the other across the party line correct mm -hmm. that it wasn't did not keep the appearances yeah of you know what i mean it kind of shows oh you're sympathetic to this, or vice versa just the by virtue of the fact that he had expressed any empathy or yeah. humanity yeah uh, but i guess the point i mean is take us back to a day because this would be unheard of now there was a day where you would have pro-life democrats mm -hmm. Gun can uh, yeah and and yeah gun control conservatives and gun and, yeah. control conservatives you would have 
nuanced yeah. views and Within candidates on both sides yeah. that now almost seems like a fantasy. Yeah. So could, I just think this would be fascinating, and, and if you get bored, it's my fault. But can you take us on a quick sure. history Political history lesson from the 50s and 60s. What changed? Well, so this is crazy given where we are now. But in 1950, the Political Science Association, American Political Science Association, released a report, 1950, bemoaning the lack of polarization of our two political parties. The lack, oh, wow. the lack of They're it. They're too similar. They were too, that's exactly what they wow. said. Mm-hmm. Because they said the average voter cannot be expected to be an expert on all of these, you know, attendant issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they felt that political parties should be shortcuts. All right. So I don't know about every topic from gun control to tariff rates to foreign policy to, I mean, you name it. But if I can have a party that generally approximates, right, that should be a shortcut. My views, my. Right. So 1950, the Democratic and Republican parties are more alike than they are different. Now, they had already begun to sort of. In general, the GOP was thought to be more conservative Mm -hmm. than the Democratic Party. But uh, as of 1976, a Stanford study showed in 1976, only 54 percent of the American electorate felt that the GOP was more conservative than the Democratic Party. Only only 54 percent back in history. A lot of them have swapped positions yeah. on, on significant key things, yeah. like a lot of parties have swapped positions. Well, just I mean. to sort of show so you— what happened? That, well, yeah, so this starts during the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. okay? I do just want to—last thing, just to sort of paint the picture here. Richard Nixon, Republican Richard Nixon, says, quote, It would be a great tragedy— if our great two American political parties were split upon liberal and conservative lines. Richard Nixon, by the way. He's a prophet, apparently. (laughs) Richard Nixon started the Environmental Protection Agency. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. He also uh, introduced... Uh, As a Republican. As a Republican. Started uh, EPA. He also introduced this died in Senate subcommittee. He also introduced a national health care system that was more ambitious than Obamacare. Wow. wow. Okay, died in Senate. Committee. Yep. He also proposed a basic minimum income. All right, uh, and he was a Republican. Yeah. Uh, you can find a bunch of examples, Republican yeah. and Democratic alike. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton, while he's campaigning, think about this: Bill yeah. Clinton, while he's campaigning for president, flies back to Arkansas mm-hmm. to refuse the pardon of a death row inmate who mm-hmm. was brain damaged and to oversee their execution. Okay, and he says the era of big government is over. That's a Democratic presidential candidate. Ronald Reagan and George Bush both raised taxes when they felt it was appropriate. That would be political suicide today. And so my point is, is that, you know, there used to be much more ideological diversity and openness. Um, What were the two or three incidents that, that... so the two or three incidents that serve as the catalyst for change, really the big one is the civil rights, rights. movement. Mm-hmm. So uh, back really up until 1965, you have uh, the Dixiecrats, okay? And so the, the Democratic Party was this really strange amalgamation of northern coastal um, states and elites, but then southern populists, 
okay? Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, the Southern Democratic politicians actually represented more or less the liberal wing of the Democratic Party uh, because because of the Civil War and Reconstruction, the South mm -hmm. the South was much poorer, yeah. uh, and so in in need quite often of more federal government intervention. Um, but in the 1960s, the Democratic Party decides civil rights is going to happen, okay? And so that devil's bargain sort of gets broken. Um, you have, you know, the Strom, Th Strom Thurmond used to be a Democrat. Uh, you know, he filibusters against the Civil Rights Act. Um, and pretty much when the Democrats say, you know, come hell or high water, we're going to pass this, you have this mass exodus of Southern politicians um, who are going to leave the Democratic Party because they feel betrayed. They, you know, were not in favor of desegregation, the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act and so on and so forth. Um, and so the GOP is waiting with open arms yeah. to accept them. Um, now, again, I want to make sure I'm, make, I'm not claiming that the GOP is racist. That's not what I'm saying. But that constituency shifted and left the Democratic Party. Uh, we have a two-party system that happens to be where they went. And so um, that— The influence began to alter what the GOP represented. That, because that's they were actually— the other side of this before that and then those yeah. constituents from that democratic party did did not like that and what happened switched over to the gop basically and it just changed uh, whether it's numbers yeah. and redrawing everything well, and it was in that season that they that both parties saw the benefit correct in becoming polarized correct and, and so there was tremendous political capital to be gained by having an, a more and more ideologically pure mm. uh, party. Mm. I mean, just a, this is crazy to me. In the 1976, and it, this is a slow, it slowly happens, but it starts to really pick up the pace in the 80s and 90s and then explodes in the 2000s in terms of polarization. The 1976 Republican abortion platform is couched in nuance. It's, it, it says, more or less, this is a really contentious and controversial issue. It, it uh, acknowledges there's disagreement within the party on this issue and that, you know, we understand that there are good people on both sides of the argument. You would never find that today. Oh. Okay. On, on either, you pick your topic. It doesn't yeah. matter on, with either party. What is important with parties now is ideological purity. Mm. Okay, uh, you may you toe the line. I call it orthodoxy. You have ideological orthodoxy within parties. Um, a really good way to measure this, for instance, oh, that's a great term. Another good way to measure this, uh, just as a for instance, would be to look at the Pearson coefficient of uh, local or, or excuse me, house elections to presidential elections. So, you know, uh, the, the Pearson coefficient is a statistical measurement used to measure a, the strength of an association between two variables. So, uh, in other words, when we see one thing, how often do we see another thing? Okay. So if you look at the way people voted, Democrat or Republican, if they voted for one party in the, in the House, in Congress, how often did they vote for that same party in the presidential election? Um, well, I'm going to find the exact number here, but um, that 
in the 1970s, the Pearson coefficient for a House to presidential election was 0.54. Only 54% of the time did people vote for the same party in both the House election and the presidential election. It's 97 now. Wow. There, there. You you vote for the same party always, um, but yes, it started with the um, with the civil rights you know exodus of uh, Dixiecrats to the GOP, and that is when because quite frankly there was a lot of hurt and a sense of betrayal yeah. uh, by both parties involved, um, and they realized that you know what Barry, you know, Barry Goldwater nineteen I believe it was nineteen sixty four uh, he wins the GOP nomination and gets absolutely waxed in the general election, but he's the first one to say that he is unapologetically conservative. And he says that uh, people deserve an actual choice. Hmm. And it sounds really good at the time. In a way, he's right. But the problem is it has re- led to... Uh, it's a gift to oversimplistic thinking. Correct. So, so since the 50s, we've been growing in our polarization. And then digital media hits. Right. And social media hits. And then what happens? Yeah. So, so where, are we, where are we at now? So what I'd like to sort of do is if we could talk about why we're particularly vulnerable to this. Yeah. And, and because I, I, I think you have to know the psychology behind it before you can understand why social media is dangerous mm-hmm. in this regard. Um, so you're saying, I'll just let me, sure. you're purporting that we all need to recognize that there's something innate in us. Yeah that leans toward polarization absolutely it's natural it's there's a natural polarization is the natural state of things sure we have we have significantly outperformed our programming by having 200 plus years of a stable representative democracy. And what's the danger of polarization? So the danger of polarization like like how we started the you know the show is that if you have a representative democracy and a democracy takes work internally and externally and you don't do that work then polarization frays the ties that bind your institutions so like just as a for instance in the year 2021 um, I've got this this is from Gallup they were reporting on liberals and conservatives feelings on key social institutions Um, liberals increasingly distrust traditional family institutions these are generalizations guys Mm -hmm. so make sure I'm but these are trends that need to be monitored liberals increasingly distrust traditional family institutions religious institutions and market valuations conservatives per Gallup increasingly distrust the scientific method higher education mass media and the government oh well so we've got 50% of our population who distrust things that are literally the bedrock mm-hmm. of America, mm-hmm. okay? And, and I conservatives think liberals are evil and liberals think conservatives are stupid. And that's the, is the, is the, the is concept the, of is negative partisanship. And we can, we, that's definitely worth it. And how does this, you said something the other day, I, I want to, before I forget, is you mentioned the motivation in politics changes. Mm-hmm. You, you said it in such a great statement the other day. The, the state the, the goal used to be oh the game mm-hmm. to understand why we are here is to understand golly we're never going to get this into an hour mm-hmm. um you have to understand the game that is being played part of the reason for our success as a system is that both constituents and political actors 
played a game in which the end goal you won by making useful policy change. That was the goal. And so there was some political chicanery involved and political gamesmanship involved because you had to be able to play the game to get your policy enacted. That increasingly isn't the case. And in fact, there are times when you look at people, you look at both voters as well as leaders, and you're like, they actually don't ever think that'll get passed. Mm -hmm. They don't actually have a goal for that to be enacted or they don't have a plan at all. The goal or the game now is uh, this really bizarre economy of grievance. Um, How much can I signal to my tribe? And we got to approach the psychology of tribalism here in a second. How much can I signal to my tribe that I am aggrieved and or offended at the appropriate things? How mad can I show that I yeah. am that people have have trampled on what my tribe views as sacred? Yeah. Even though there's no intention of actually fixing it Correct. or changing it. Correct. It doesn't matter. Very, very little. And which is why we don't see a lot of things changing. Right. We've been arguing over some of the same things for 20, That's the real years, irony. There's really no change. There may never really be yeah. change in these areas. Yeah. But you've got to put the effort out there to represent your constituents and your party and your platform that I I care about these things. I'm mad about immigration, what's going on. I'm mad about gun control legislation. I'm mad at you, vice versa. You know what I mean? Even though nothing really gets I've I've got a signal that my uh, righteous indignation Mm -hmm. is directed toward the right topic. Yeah. And that is how I accrue a certain capital with the people that I care about. Yeah. So then how does what we talked about in the previous episode uh, the dangers of digital media and even mm-hmm. social media put us increasingly at risk of echo chambers and polarization. So to answer that question again, really quickly, talking about the psychology, we are wired for tribalism. And if you don't believe me or you want to contest that, we're in Columbus, Ohio. I live right next to Clemson. Country, okay. What you All right. You went to Clemson. I went to Clemson. Okay. If you don't think we're wired for tribalism, just do me a favor. Go to the stadium on a fall Saturday, and you're going to see hundreds of thousands of people, grown men, painting themselves, wearing uh, the same color, chanting in unison. It is this litany of ritual and tradition. And what are they cheering for? Is it something that's going to really impact their lives? Not really, not in any way, meaningful way, shape, or form, all right? It is broadcasting their team. Sport, this is a great quote that is related. This is from George Orwell. Sport has nothing to do with fair play. It is bound up with hatred, jealousy, boastfulness, disregard of all rules, and sadistic pleasure in witnessing violence. In other words... This is from somebody that loves sports, though. I love sports. (laughs) In other words, sport is war minus the shooting. Hmm. Sport is this cathartic outlet for the tribalism that, that we have inbuilt into us, okay? Because we, we live in a 21st century now that is replete with shopping off of Amazon mm-hmm. or you want something, you can have it ordered, it comes the next day. We don't have to worry about survival in the West. 
but our brains aren't built for that. Our brains are built for a competition with rivals over scarce resources. And so it is very useful to have an in-group, out-group kind of software operating in your brain. There was a remarkable study done uh, by a guy named uh, Henry Tajfel. He was a Polish Jew uh, who survived the Holocaust by lying about his identity. He said that he was obviously Jewish. He said that he was a, a, a Frenchman. Um, and uh, he was kept in a prisoner of war camp, but they didn't execute him because they didn't know he was Jewish. And so this really got him to think about social identity. And so he did this remarkable study where he recruited 64 young boys and he had them complete a task where they estimated the number of dots on a page. Um, and then he split them into two groups, the ones who supposedly most accurately estimated the number of dots and the ones that failed to accurately estimate the number of dots. Okay. And then he gave them real money and they could, couldn't give money to themselves, but they could give out money to people, to anybody else they wanted to. Now, mind you how ridiculous this is on its, on his face. First off, he didn't even, they did not actually count the dots whatsoever. They were randomly assigned. Okay. They, this was not actual performance driven. Okay, the accuracy didn't matter at all. And they're giving away money based off of their perception of how well you can estimate a number of dots on a page. What they thought would happen is there'd be no difference, but that's not what he found. What he found is people that were assigned to the high or the high performing, they supposedly estimated the number of dots well, they very strongly gave or very frequently gave money to people that were assigned to their group. They wanted to give money to the other good dot estimators Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to give money to the people that weren't good dot estimators. If, if our in group out group mentality operates at that basic a level over stuff that is trivial and completely unimportant. Imagine how it operates with stuff, with issues that actually could impact our lives. So that's the, to understand the impact of social media you, on polarization and politics, you gotta understand the, the, the way that we're wired. Yeah. We are wired to see and to value in-group validation and to distrust people that are outside of us. And it takes real, real work to, to to combat that well uh, it's brilliant you're also too smart for your own good and um uh in layman's terms how does this with social media affect the division we're feeling right now so excuse me and echo chambers so as we mentioned on the last podcast you know our content is very carefully manicured and it's manicured for us by these social media giants based off of engagement and what these uh, companies have figured out in very short order is that what engages us is what ticks us off okay cat videos only get you so far the more angry we are the angrier we are the the more we're engaged with the platform um and so we tend to have very siloed um experiences on social media uh where we only get friend friend suggestions from people that tend to be like-minded or we only talk to you know we we some of this we do ourselves i mean you're saying that they're curating content Mm -hmm. that they think 
you want to watch. Right. And uh, they don't care about social morality. Cohesion. They don't care about social cohesion, however you want to put it. They just care about keeping you glued to the screen. Correct. And so by doing that, and that's obviously where that term really kind of came to life over this last year is echo chambers in any issue is that you are you are seeing what you want to see. Right. What you identify with most. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's what you are seeing. So, and and somebody from a different side, let's talk about the polarization, the different side of the the aisle, if you want to say politically, they're seeing Mm -hmm. complete opposite. Just what they're just seeing what they are, you know, what they and a lot of this has to do with it can geography, but it can also have to do with your your trends, what you scroll, how long you stayed on a video of this. You watch these videos on YouTube. That must mean you like these. You watch right. this one, this one, this one. They watch this subset of videos, completely different. They're going to keep getting fed to their feed. They're, yours are going to keep getting fed to your feed. And, and what it's doing is it's creating this polarization, the separation of ideation. It's, it's separating yeah. us into camps. So Correct. you have people. Right? I'm just trying to as, kind of yeah. what you're saying. I'm yeah. just trying to we have human rationalize beings my that mind. are already inclined to not think nuanced. Yeah. And then you add on that that the algorithm algorithms in place mean that the news you keep seeing keeps reinforcing your already inclined bias, mm-hmm. and the news I keep and we talked about it because what's fascinating is you you wonder sometimes, man, how does the other side think this way? How they're they seeing they're, yeah. they're the news that Why you're seeing, see especially if you're on social media, is or what pops up on your Apple News, what pops up on Google, the news that you're continually seeing yeah. is completely different than the news they're seeing, which explains why. Like I heard, what was is it? Irma McMahon said that he he intentionally on his social media and on Google will intentionally click on uh, opposing views. Yeah. He, it's like he almost makes a game of making sure he's screwing with the algorithm. And so how is dangerous yeah. is great best price. How dangerous does that make the state that we're in? And what do we do about yeah. it? Well, and what are some real life examples? Uh, let's, let's, let's get gritty about this. What does this really look like in 2021? What what has the, the lockdown in 2021 done? What has the, the two different um, me and him can't get in trouble. But, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to get you in trouble. But well, what has I mean, let's just be really, really let's get down to where we really live. The election of 2020 in November after the year of 2020 that was already polarizing. How did all this flesh out and what have you seen? I think so. Th- this is I think this is fascinating. Really, it boils down to this. The we have. The more active we are politically. The less informed we become. Hmm. Um, and that has to do with why we vote or why we identify politically. Hmm. So um, what research is borne out is that people that are only marginally politically active, so they don't have strong partisan or, or uh, political identifiers, they don't vote every single election cycle, people that are only sort of um, on and off politically active, they vote with the thought of what will this vote do for me Hmm. is very pragmatic Mm -hmm. and some might say selfish but quite frankly i think that is what is that's how you should vote you what will this vote do to better my life this is after representative democracy absolutely how does this better society or help people you think it should be how should how does this better me typically 
what will better me as a working class person is going to better the lives of of now obviously if you are worth 4.5 billion dollars uh, then yeah, that's problematic for them for them to think that. But the, I mean, what is the whole argument from economic mobility all about? Is that there are very few billionaires, so it should be the the will of the working class. Kim Kardashian the, 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 became the majority. I heard that this week. Um, <laughs> whereas people who are very politically active and they consume a lot of news media. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are very much, I am a conservative, I am a liberal. They vote in mind, and again, this is borne out by research, they don't ask, what does this vote do for me? They, they ask, what does this say about me? Hmm. So it's about communicating identity, all right? Um, similarly, people, this is, I found this was fascinating. This is from 2006, the more quote-unquote politically informed active participants top five percent in terms of how much news media you consume and how well they could accurately uh, describe their party's political positions okay top five percent when asked about the two examples they gave were questions about clinton and the federal deficit deficit and then reagan and inflation Mm -hmm. okay the top 5% most informed political actors, they were outperformed by the median. In other words, your, your, your middle-of-the-road average Joe Schmo who doesn't really identify with either side and is not politically active, they do better than the person who thinks that they're an expert. And so my point here is, is that as people are being that gap that chasm between left and right is growing and that's not even really a good working definition of polarization we should probably address that that's at least it's incomplete um but as that dev that gap grows wider and as those sides get more and more purified Mm. they're actually becoming less informed and a lot of that has to do with the fact so the that more they are echo chambers. The more politically opinionated a person is, research shows the less informed they actually are about the policy. That is correct. So that's dangerous. Yeah. And it hurts our relationships. Uh, what do we do about that? Or what, first off, what uh, I want to go back. 2020. <laughs> I, I what, what's your, what is 2020? Where we, we already um, have a polarized uh, republic. Um, the two parties are more, more polarized than ever. Then we're in a polarizing year, a year of tension, loss, um, social unrest, and then we're locked down to stare at our phones before the most yeah. contentious um, presidential debate, probably maybe one of, of of all time. I mean, what has this year done to us? What, the, what do, I mean, without trying to get you uh, too in trouble, I mean, you get to fly home. What do the, the two different candidates and their personalities, how, did, how does that leverage and feed into? Yeah, I mean, the, obviously, you could not have picked a worse political milieu, in my opinion, uh, to have an election happen during a global pandemic. I mean, it, I'm just being honest. I mean, Donald Trump is in many ways, uh, because he is, whether you love him or hate him, he's the soundbite president. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about a system that thrives off of short 
sound bites, snippets, uh, whatever, you know, whatever. There's the old newspaper saying, if it bleeds, it leads. So the worse the news, the better, or the more controversial or provocative the news, the more play it's going to get. Um, and obviously, as we talked about in the last podcast, that is heightened substantially with social media. Um, Donald Trump is like either the perfect or the worst fit for such a system uh, because he he is very antagonistic and he does speak in uh, very absolutist terms, mm-hmm. um, which is why if you look at opinions on him, they tend to be very divided. People typically either love him or hate him. Yeah, um, and so that is heightened very much by a pandemic. Yeah. I never thought I'd see a pandemic get politicized yeah. like that. a global health crisis yep. get politicized but it absolutely did mm-hmm. uh, i mean we have gone through stages where mask wearing vaccines uh you know uh, economic restrictions these have all been sort of parsed through the filter of uh you know political affiliation they, they've been politicized in here some uh, if i could say it doesn't make sense to me and i think politicized is a good term I can't make rationale of it yeah. when it comes to the vaccine in Mexico. Like, the, like I'll just throw this out as an example. And again, how, however you feel about the vaccine, to me, I think everybody, you can have your own opinions on it and your choice of how you want to approach that. That's fine. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any issue with that. I think what's interesting to me is that it feels like when it comes to the vaccine and the virus, it's fallen into these different camps politically which don't make sense to me. It's like almost, and, and maybe this is just my read on it. Who knows? It's like, okay, if you are in the conserv- uh, conservative right camp politically, it seemed the majority were against the vaccine for all kinds of reasons, which didn't make a lot of sense to me in regards to that it was uh, Donald Trump in the office who was really touting the like vaccine the, the and the, like it is warp yeah. speed and putting money behind it and the government behind it till we get to the point to it getting approved for emergency use yeah. under his presidency to then all of a sudden in January we have a change of presidency and and and, and I know that's maybe too oversimplistic of just going well it's this camp and this camp because I know that there are different people with different right. reasons in all different camps but it's just it's just funny to me that it's just it has been politicized but I can't make sense of yeah. it well that's what, and, and with vaccines in general though I I mean, yeah, even, they are like that. Even pre-COVID, I mean, if you look at the data on people that are suspicious of vaccines, even pre-pandemic, yeah. it's it's this you know it's this weird spectrum of far right. right. Say, far we don't too. trust anything on the government or far left, far like left, like hippie and free spirit, it, and yeah. nothing's gonna. I, I, I'm I'll, all I need is my Earth Mother, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of kind of thing. Um, it is. I would agree. Maybe it's that far extreme. Maybe that's just what we hear. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the whole mm. process of what's yeah. happened through media. That it's what's getting the loudest airplay. Yeah. Is the extremes. Yeah. I mean, that might be some. I think of it. I don't some know. of it. I do think that there's a lot of uh, a truth in that. What are some telltale signs that you've been polarized to one extreme that you've been echo chambered? I think that first off, and we probably should have uh, done a better job approaching this topic, but um, if you look at your friends list and it is all of it's nothing but people that sound like you and and, you know, it's people that agree with you politically. Um, if you look at people that you have, and again, I'm not very smart about Facebook, but instead of defriending somebody, you can put them on. 
not mute friends or, list you, or certain uh, things yeah right? like yeah. you can you can have them you're friends with them but they don't they no longer populate yeah, you don't see it very much you can, they yeah. can only pop up every once you time. unfollow yeah i mean like it, it, <laughs> unfollow no, was, there you go um so but if you look at your friends list or the people that you follow and it's it's completely comprised of people who um you know sound like you and agree with you and they are just confirming your pre-existing notions but isn't that natural for us to do that that's exactly it, I mean, the problem i mean is it, but you know isn't that natural for us to want to follow people that have the that they're gonna think the same way and that's you know we create our own echo chambers i mean right. i'm not saying you know there's no we do but but let's face we it do. the people that we're following are people that share either our same uh, spiritual beliefs they they share the same political beliefs they you know economic beliefs yep. and and that's what we that's what we do but the problem is is that facebook these are in social media these are sure. supposed to be people this is supposed to be a social network we're supposed to be interacting with all kinds of people based off of right. prior relationship i like this person all right uh, i have a relationship with this person or this is a friend of a friend whatever right. Um, and it's not supposed to be a purity test based off of political ideology. And when it becomes that, it doesn't shed its prior role as a, a functional means of relationship. And so this really gets to the, the heart of it is that we have these, we, everyone has various identities, okay? We, we have your identity as, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a I'm an educator. I'm a student. Um, you know, you could go through all of my you know. I, I'm a tiger, which mm. I know that makes me you know persona non grata here. <laughs> um, but I've got all these different. But the problem is, those are supposed to be mapped on to v different locations, and when they all get mapped in together, and there's perfect homogeny mm -hmm. on your identity, and a person here's an again a good way to think of it is if i were to i just finished reading a book actually on this if i were to look at a location that has more cracker barrels than whole foods Amen. that is a conservative place is it really Statistics, so, 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 statistics bear down. I thought they just planted them all on the freeway. So when I'm driving, those should have over. nothing to do with each other, guys. The number of Whole Foods and Cracker Barrels should what have nothing mean? to do with your, but they do, and that's the problem Weird. with polarization: mm -hmm. is that you have these various identities overlapping uh, and mapping on to where they should map onto. And, yeah, that's and, dumb because I like chicken fried chicken. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea what this has to do I with anything, both. right? political beliefs i just like chicken fried chicken but the, but and, and and it's funny but it's also very disturbing and, and true yeah. i mean the fact that the fact that i'm okay this is a person that i like with in every other facet of uh, of life they're yeah. kind they're empathetic mm -hmm. but they're democrat or yeah. they're republican yeah. or they're pro-gun control yeah. uh or they're anti-gun you know you, what the fact that that maps on to my relational capacity with that person yeah. makes no sense but that's what's at stake and here. then you have people who will take advantage of that fear and that tribalism and amplify it to the point where in desperate times you begin to see that person who represents that as the enemy correct and again, this is what I said that what we started off with. I said that what is at stake is our republic, 
Um, and and that is very much harkening back to what you just said is is that look the natural state of things is not democracy. In fact, we human history is a litany of tyranny. Mm-hmm. We tend to devolve to the powerful leader who can accrue the most political capital and who is best at marshalling the fears of the masses. That is the natural state of things. Okay? And so democracy takes work. It yeah. takes internal work of uh, saying, you know what? I know that person is saying stuff that I disagree with, mm. but I'm going to listen because a, I understand that psychologically and cognitively I am prone to all kinds of biases and that I'm, I, I engage in motivated reasoning and cognitive dissonance just like anybody else does. Okay. And I don't know how I, we've been talking so long. I don't know if we've gone over cognitive biases yet yeah. or not. Um, but that takes internal work and then it also takes external work it takes us collectively saying that we're you know listen we're going to listen to this person on the other side of the aisle even if it costs me socially or politically i'm going to listen to this person and you're going to be respectful dadgummit you're going to be you're going to no you're not going to call them names Mm -hmm. um we're going to accurately represent what their point is instead of making straw men arguments yeah all right it takes a lot of work uh, it takes I think there's there's the work as a Republican. There's a work as a human being. What, what, what I and that's what I think what you're getting at is what what I don't like when I when I see to myself is when someone represents maybe it's extreme on this side, extreme on that side, and in my interactions with them, mm-hmm. um, those moments if I'm just being honest, vulnerable, where if I'm if I'm not if I'm not aware of it there's this uh creeping up of um of uh of stereotype yeah. or i or a less desire to want to in, and and those yeah. moments that i've seen in myself are ugly yeah oh yeah, for yeah. Sure. And, and 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 i think you know maybe, maybe just one human thing that can that, that we can there's so much i think in this there's a lot of data and information we're talking about but even just one human thing i want to extract out of this is i want to be aware enough of mentally the way i think as a human being to where I can locate the ugly in my heart and say, if I'm starting to look at a human being differently because of what side of the aisle they may be on liberal or conservative or rich or poor or Clemson or Ohio or um, someone, you know, even as a follower of Jesus, someone's not less my brother in Jesus. If they're from the middle East, than a a Patriot from uh, Georgia or Ohio or South Carolina, And the way we see each other as human beings and, and yeah, no, I, I, I love that thought. And I just wanted to kind of throw this in just as I know we're wrapping up and, um, but I, I, all of the things we talk about it are natural bent and I, and I would agree. And again, from a faith context, I would say that that idea of self and that idea of, I want to protect me and I want to protect my people and all this. I agree. I think there is a natural bent toward that. Uh, of self-protection, self-preservation. You know, again, in our circles, we're going to say that that sin is behind that. I think one of the things that makes Jesus so unique, and the reason why I'm a Jesus follower, is because his message and everything you're talking about, the polarization. His message was so anti that. Mm. He was the one that show that showed up and said, "Love your enemy." Mm. He was the one that said, "Bless those who curse you." Mm. That is not normal. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. And what he encouraged as far, he said, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Yeah. Not by how and right you what are. I would say, and you, you made a comment to this, we're not, we're, we're wired for this, we're wired for this, and I would agree with that, that we're wired for this. I would say that one of the reasons why I believe that as a person of faith, and I, I would say this as we kind of wrap up to challenge all of us who really claim to follow Jesus, is that um, I have to look at, I want to look at every single person regardless of where they're from, economic background, political ideation, does not matter. And I want to look at them and I want to say, I care about you and I'm going to love you because that's what I receive from Jesus. And that's the message. And so for me, that's where my faith informs me to, as I was referring when I was wanting you to clarify, like the whole idea to, you know, and this can get into politics and how does it all play and how do we separate it and all that stuff you can process that on your own for me i i don't always want to just think about what's best for me i want to think about what's best for you i want to think about what's best for someone else i i want to think about how jesus said when you do these things to the least of these you're doing them for me when you feed somebody who's hungry you're doing it for me when you care for somebody else you're doing it for me to me when you stand for the oppressed that 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 changes things mm-hmm. for, for me. And so I want to take my faith and my approach. And, and I, I would hope, and again, what we we're saying, that again, I don't expect that in our government politics, but this polarization, we can't get anything done. It's because we don't see each other as people. We don't, we see, we've separated into these parties and it's good, evil and all this stuff mm-hmm. like that versus going, no, you're human. And I want to be able to reach across well, the aisle. And I want to love you yeah. and care for you because you're my neighbor. Well, what's really what interesting to piggyback off of that idea, what's really interesting is that um, while polarization has obviously increased, the data suggests that political party affiliation has decreased. Mm-hmm. Fewer people surprise me fewer people are ready to announce that they are Republican or Democrat. So what in the how does that how does that occur with polarization? It's it's negative partisanship. Yep. It feels good. It sounds terrible, but it's just true. There's a certain feeling that people enjoy. Um, it ties into very primal, almost team oriented hatred of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we are broken. Uh, and we have some, we have very naturally occurring deficits in our psyches and, um, it manifests itself among other ways by in a really disgusting way. It feels good to be angry. There's a certain catharsis with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it feels good to have a, Again, I say feels good, not in a good way, but in a really primal, uh, unfortunate way, it feeds something in us Mm -hmm. um, to to have a scapegoat and to have an enemy. Um, And uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, that is to answer your question about like social media, anything that allows us with greater ease to view someone as just one thing. You're just a name on a screen. You're just a profile picture. You're just a Democrat. You're just a Republican. You're just a Baptist. You're just a Methodist. You're just a Muslim, whatever. And unfortunately, Social media has a habit of doing that. The other piece of that is this, is that, um, you know, James Madison in Federalist 10 um, was weighing 
um, the you know Federalist you know system, the the pros and cons, and he was talking about this very thing about passions. That one of the risks of a democracy is passions inflaming uh, the constituency and over, and you essentially have rule by mob. Okay, that's why they did not opt for representative democracy. But James Madison said, and again, obviously paraphrasing here, that because our country is so big and news takes so long to travel, um, by the time passions arose in one region of the country, it would take so long to get to the other end of the country, it would be impossible to inflame everyone at once in our social media. Wow. Um, And so that's the real danger. And that's why we have to do the internal work of viewing people that are different from us as human, Mm -hmm. taking the time to listen and understanding that we hold biases. um, And uh, that, and again, I know I'm talking, a a neuron itself is useless. It just, it signals on its axon whether to send an electrical impulse or not. It's totally useless. It takes everybody, all the neurons in aggregate firing to have a thought and to paint a picture or to write a book. Um, Collectively, we have ideological diversity, which is a strength. Mm -hmm. Individually, we are prone to our own cognitive biases and, and we when we give ourselves into that, that's where the risk is. Yeah. Well said. Well, I'm going to let you wrap up, but I I think several things. I just think number one, man, thanks so much. Uh, Your thoughts, your mind, your research. Uh, I know it makes me better. I appreciate on a personal level offline uh, as my cousin, I can just um, talk uh, politics, life philosophy and, uh, I think, you know, these conversations for me on a personal level make me resolve even more to want to diversify my input of information, to want to diversify the types of opinions and thoughts I have in my life. It makes me want to be violent against the possibility of echo chambers because it will shrink my mind and it will shrink my heart. And at the end of the day, Uh, I want to be somebody who sharpens my mind by continually not having a weird, unhealthy identity possession of ideas, but instead having open ideas to say, let me discuss and let me learn. I love there's a proverb. The message paraphrase says that the wise lead with their ears and their tongue straggle behind. And I want to be somebody who is a learner and a listener from thoughts I agree with and dissenting thoughts. I want to be someone who views the person in front of me from a faith context. One of the things I love is that what matters most is not my ideas or my camps. What matters most is an individual human being, Imago Dei, made in the image of God. And I love where Paul said, you know, one one of our first podcasts we talked about one of the reasons that we fight lesser fights It's because we don't have a bigger fight. And if you don't have a bigger fight, if you don't have a bigger passion, if you don't have a bigger story that you're caught up into, you will find small things to divide over. There's no shortage of petty grievances and and arguments to bicker. No shortage. Find a higher purpose. Find a higher purpose. And, um, and, you know, what what you said for me, and we have people from all kinds of different faith backgrounds and non-faith backgrounds that listen i know for me one of the things i love it's it's a a picture of that is at the cross paul said 
at the cross were no longer Jew nor nor Greek nor Gentile. In other words, all of the lesser labels of Democrat and Republican, the way that I would dehumanize another human being, when I meet Jesus at the cross, that dissolves. And all of a sudden, I love my fellow man. I'm a part of something way bigger than the petty things that divide us. And you you did a brilliant series back uh, around election time. And one of the, the main thoughts is really, really simple, is our love is greater than our differences. And for, if you've ever, you know, I think one of the most ignorant things you can ever say is we have nothing in common. All right. Yeah. You ever heard somebody say that? Like we have, they, they say that, that there, there's that little, um, there's that little thing that um, is your trigger, whatever your little, maybe it's one of your little political triggers, one of your social mm-hmm. triggers. And the moment you hear it, you have such an anger reaction that you say the most foolish thing you could ever say to another human being we have nothing in common right well you both have to eat three meals a day well you both breathe well you both were a baby once you're both going to die one day you both were made you both were created you both have fears you both have depression you and no matter how much you disagree politically with someone you have all of us everybody watching this to the person that annoys you most you have way more in common than you do different yeah and I want to be the kind of person that my love is always bigger than my differences. Amen. I want to be the kind of person that sees yeah. every single person. I want to violently, I want to use that word intentionally, I want to violently internally fight against the possibility of me loving or treating anybody less because of what they believe, yeah. what policy they're on the side of, what politic they're on the side of. And my hope is that these brilliant conversations do more than just stretch my mind, but they enlarge my heart. There's, there, there is no net loss in viewing everyone as human yeah. and treating them with dignity and empathy. Yeah. Uh, and I furthermore, and I'll shut up because I know we need to wrap up. I furthermore would just put out there that um, there is only something to be gained from having different kinds of mm-hmm. people in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really boring life. Uh, to be around people that are just like you yeah, and only yeah. just like you. Yeah, so that yeah. person who you have nothing in common with or who politically might be an opponent. Some of the people in my life that I actually like the most yeah. are politically divergent from yeah. me, uh, but they make my life better. Yeah. And you know what? Them being in my life makes me more empathetic to people like them. Yeah. And yeah. I just think that there is only good to come from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's so good. No, I, I agree. I could, I, there's not much more to, to be said. I think one of the tenets of our church is that we've always wanted to create a community that is, welcomes people. That says, um, we say this often, you can, uh, you can belong even if you don't believe. Yeah. And uh, I think that, is, that goes against the grain of what you see as we've talked about tribalism, all this kind of stuff. And I just think that's something that we continue to fight for is that we want this place wants to speak of that our church to be a place where you can have differing you can differ from me in so many different ways even we have within our own church differing theological opinions on all kinds of things including the bible that's fine at the end of the day i want to look at what unites us and Mm -hmm. like you said jesus at the cross that we're all one in family and so to me that's that's our hope i think is that you would take from this conversation is that maybe you'll begin to think about the people that are in your circle and you begin to say what would it look like for me to widen my circle a little bit 
what would it look like for me to be able to yeah. love some people that are outside of my circle and not just close myself off to a small circle? And that's one of the things I think that makes America, that can make America beautiful, yeah. is, is to go from being divided to being united. What are the yeah. things that unite us? Yeah. We don't focus enough on that because yeah. it doesn't sell. Yep. We don't focus enough on that, but what are the common bonds that we have? Yeah. And, and if we could get back to those, we, we would see progress, I think, in, in so many areas. And if we'll do that in our circle... If everybody you'll does do that, that in your circle, does in circle. everybody we'll, do that in their we'll circle. We'll see things change. We yeah. can, we can. Let's so let's just make uh, as we close. Yep. Let's fight against polarization. Yep. Let's fight against narrow-mindedness, and let's fight. At the end of the day, um, I, I do this weird exercise where uh, I think I talked about it, but back in the fall, um, I created kind of a life plan where I wrote out vision and goals, and it sounds kind of a uh, morbid, but at the beginning of it, you have to write out your obituary of what they're going to say about you, and one of the things that I want people to say about me uh, is not, man, he, uh, every time I was around him, he was really right. I want them to say, right. man, every time I yeah. was around him, I felt really loved. That's good. Yeah. That I, I felt inspired by him and loved by him, and, and he spoke life into me. Yeah. Let's be the kind of people that when people get around us, they feel really loved. Amen. And they feel really accepted. And uh, I, I, one of the things I love about this podcast, one of the, one of the things I love about this community that we're hope, hopefully that we're creating is – to, to set a place and set an example of how we can have conversations and we can agree disagreeably and we can create the kind of space where people feel loved and we can talk about ideas and nothing's off the table. So, and thank you as always for tuning in to the X podcast. Any thoughts, feedback, questions, send us at podcast at the X dot church. That's podcast at the X dot church rate review, subscribe, share with a friend. Thank you once again, Matt. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah. It's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next week. Go Tigers. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>